Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and our weekly feature, Inside the Sports Car Paddock, our interview show presented to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. This week, we start off with our usual opening guest, the man who makes us smarter for sure on the race engineering strategy and overall motorsports technology side. That being race engineer supreme, a dear, dear old friend of mine, Jeff Brown, engineer of the Core Auto Sport DPI effort in IMSA's WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Talking about BOP here, some shades and differences in BOP, definitely related to the Nissan Onrope DPI that they happen to run, open with the most recent round at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. Talking about the decision going from earning pole to starting last in class, why Jeff and his team happened to do that. Definitely a topic that comes up. They've done that a few times now. Then we move after the discussion about BOP and working with the limitations and stretching the limitations to achieve performance. Move on to the next call that we did, and that's with our man Andy Lally. He of the Magnus Racing Team. Kind of have a a little quasi-dinner with racers inside the sports car paddock connection here in that Mr. Lally drives for the Magnus team, along with John Potter, whose longtime PR man is Sean Heckman, half of the Dinner with Racers duo. Speaking about the upcoming race this weekend at Lime Rock Park, where in the GTD category, I expect just more warfare. So talking with Andy, who is a, a fine wager of warfare about this was just something I wanted to do. Then we close with Ryan Eversley. The other half of the DWR duo coming off his very first stadium super truck weekend. And yeah, I realize it's not sports cars, but it was road racing, trucks, and jumping through the air on a street course. So I don't know, maybe that qualifies, but uh, always love to catch up with Ryan. Spoke a little bit about the sports car side being involved in the Honda TCR program with Hart and his good pal, Chad Gilsinger in the Michelin Pilot Challenge Series. And then we get into a little bit of what we might expect coming up with Dinner with Racers, knowing that they love to do kind of sort of surprise releases of batch goodness. And then that's the end of the show. So I'm running on empty here. I'm running on fumes. So I'm just going to do an intro that says we start with Jeff, shift to Andy, close with Ryan, Then you're going to hear some music fade in towards the end of Ryan's interview and fade out. And then we are done. So I'm taking the easy way out. No outro. Hope you don't mind. Thanks again to our awesome partners at Cooper Tires and the equally awesome Justice Brothers. We'll look forward to you next week with whomever might pop into the show talking about whatever comes to mind in our little random interview series that we're now into episode 23. Jeff Brown, a man eternally on the move. In theory, you got a little bit of time off between the trip to Canada for the most recent WeatherTech Sports Car Championship round with the Core Autosport Nissan Onrook DPI. But no, you're in Indianapolis getting ready for a test. Um, but we still want to talk about what we refer to as Mo Sport and yeah. an awesome pole position earned by your son, Colin Brown. Some strategery yet again on what to do with uh, with driver order. 
some of the, the decision-making there, I know, is a topic we wanted yep. to discuss. And then there was a really cool topic raised by a fan at the track. So I think this week's episode of Jeff Brown Makes Us Smarter is going to be a little bit of an interesting and, and connected one. Yeah, I think uh, I think so. It's um, you know, last time we asked uh, the people in Canada to come up with some topics, and whew, those guys are on it up there. I mean, those fans are really, really love their motor racing, and they have a great track. And you know, Ron Fellows and his people have done an amazing job. Anybody who hasn't been there in the last ten years, but even every year, it's better and better. So it was it was fun to go there. It was fun to get the poll and. You know, that's um, kind of uh, people have asked, you know, well, why do you, you know, you got the pole and then you start John at the back of the pack. And why do you go through all that effort? And the the reason we go through all that effort is for the guys. I mean, they've put in, you know, the guys are the crew guys that do all the hard work and the truck drivers and, the, you know, the, you know all the way to Cindy at the shop who does all the accounting and HR stuff. I mean, it was as Go much Cindy. for her. Yeah, exactly. As much for her as for anybody else, you know, for all those people. And so to get the poll was pretty, was special. We haven't had a lot of highlights this year. And um, so, yeah, so that's why we did it. And I think probably somebody – this may come off sounding a little weird, but <laughs> I'm going to repeat it because it's probably true. We uh, people, you know, when you get the poll, your your co competitors will all, you know, congratulate each other, and so you know, we're walking away, and some people are like, "Hey, great job, great job," and I'm thinking, "No, nah, I don't really do a whole lot." For that one, and I said to one person, I said, well, I think my largest contribution to that poll was probably about 30 years ago at Conception. <laughs> uh, I want to see the I want to see the box there to check on setup sheet birth fast sun. All right. right. Yep. That, that's the setup we put in. Got that. And, and that was really mostly what that poll was. I mean, the car was not any different than we've run before. And, you know, okay, we we tweaked some things since or since uh, Watkins Glen, but not much. And that was pretty much our Watkins Glen setup, and the kid just was super on it. I don't know if anybody's got a chance to go back and see that lap, but that lap was pretty spectacular and i'm not just saying that because it's my kid i mean that was a spectacular a lot of people came up and like holy smokes you know one guy's like i stood in turn two for the last 15 years and i've never seen a car with the rear wheels off the ground jumping over the jump in turn two that ended up being the pole lap and so it was a pretty spectacular lap so knowing about the decisions made there obviously starting john as you guys did last year, and that resulted in victory. Uh, didn't have the victory that you had hoped. Obviously, there was a really strong effort yet again by Colin to rally through the field and get as far forward as he could. But I'm most intrigued, Jeff, to uh, to share with folks the conversation you had with a fan at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park and the topic of BOP as we know, is something that even casual fans are grasping that, oh, that's weird, that's interesting. Why don't you share the conversation with us and, and how we pivot to that as our central topic for the week? 
Yeah, well, we had just got the poll, and this guy comes up, and he's like, hey, great poll app. Like, how do you, what do you change on the car to, 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 to do that? And, you know, I told him about how it's a matter of hundreds of a second. I think we were on the poll by less than a half a tenth over Castro Nevis. And so, you know, we had to do things to the car, like, um, you know, fuel load. What are we going to run? Are we going to fuel it for the whole 15 minutes? No, not to be, it'll be too heavy when the tires are bad, you know? So what are we going to run for fuel load? And, and we sat there, Tyler, my data guys like, Oh, I can't, I don't know. Should I run, you know, 28 liters or should I run 27 liters? I don't want it to bobble on the lap that he's got it really good. And, you know, my tire guy's the same way. Should I go up a half a pound or 0.6 pounds for qualifying and get Colin in there? When are you going to run the good lap? Well, I'm going to run the good lap on lap three as long as I don't get traffic. Well, what if you do get traffic? Well, then it's going to have to be lap four. Oh, and then we're going to need an extra two liters of fuel. And then, oh, then the tire pressure will have to be an extra 0.1 down if we're going to be on lap four. And the engine guy's the same way. Well, I can just tweak it a little bit so we're right on the limit of the IMSA uh, boost limit. But if we run an extra lap, things will heat up and we'll be over the boost limit. So we're going to have to change the map for the next lap so we don't break out of the limit. And everything pressed right to the end. And so that guy, the, the fan's like, wow, that's really good. So then you just go do that in the race. And I'm like, no, you can't. You know, we can't push it to that edge in the race. We have to back everything down. We have to look for more consistency and things like that. And he's like, he said, okay, so I get that. But how, what happens if you, you know, they BOP everybody. And there's obviously going to be one car that's the slowest. And he said, what happens if that car just can't go faster? How does IMSA deal with that? You know, and and I said, well, that's kind of our case right now. We're we're pretty much maxed out. It's all we've got from power, weight, uh, everything we can do. We're, you know, we are basically the standard of the class right now as far as what the limits are on what we can do. And last year, and I don't. You know, I wasn't directly involved by any means, but from the outside or maybe a little inside, it looked like the Mazda was in a similar situation last year where they couldn't let the class go faster because the Mazda couldn't didn't have the performance that was needed to to, to go quicker. Sure. And, and so we're kind of in that same spot right now. And, you know, we'll talk about BOP here. Not. Not as a, is it good? Is it bad? It just is. And that's the way my life is right now. I, I rarely get the opportunity to debate whether it's good, how it should be done, whether it's fair, whether it's fun, whether it's good for the spectators. It's just a rule, like any other rule, minimum weight, uh, drive time, tire compounds that I have to deal with. And so... IMSA does a tremendous job at, I think, and I'm not just saying this because I don't want them mad at me, 
Um, They're listening right now, by the way, so don't say it too uh, loud. Yeah, I know. Or maybe maybe they won't listen to this one. But um, no, they they do a really good job of balancing it as best they can. But this fan said, well, what happens if you just can't? You know, what happens like Mazda seemed to be last year? They just couldn't go faster. And we're kind of in that boat right now. We just can't go faster. We can't. IMSA has a giant algorithm that all the data piles into during the race uh, after the race, all the sector times, top speeds, average lap times, fuel economy, all the data they collect. It goes into this big, giant program out the bottom, spits out what, in theory, it's not mandated. It's not auto BOP like I think is used in some series, but it's auto calculated, and then the human element comes in. But it comes out what should be the changes in the BOP to the power and weight and fuel capacity of all the cars based on the numbers. Well, lately our numbers have come out in what we need in order to balance us unrealistic. You know, lots of kilos lighter is what we are, we should be able to be. And yet, we just can't, you know, we, we, we're we at our minimum weight right now with no ballast in the car. So, again, I think similar to how Mazda was last year in certain areas, they, the only thing that can be done is some sort of homologation um, exception uh, to allow the car, our car, to be improved outside of the homologation so that it can compete at the same performance level that IMSA has selected for the DPI class. And what a lot of people don't understand is that was increased quite a bit from last year. When they split the classes, they wanted the DPIs to be much quicker than they were. And, yep. and you know, you've seen it. Um, the Michelin tires have helped quite a bit. Um, but not as much as I think people think that that continental tire was a very, very good tire. And it's, you know, the, the Michelin is slightly faster. I won't necessarily say better, but it's slightly faster. Um, and it is just as good, just as durable. I mean, the Michelin tire is a very good tire. The continental tire was a very good tire, but all the performance increase we're seeing is not just, to the tire, maybe 25% of it is. The rest is the increased um, power and lighter weight <clears throat> that has been allowed uh, in the DPI class. So one of the cars, um, you know, the Mazda was allowed to change a bunch of things and rehomologate, and now they're up in the in the mix. Some would say too fast, but more power to them. I'm glad they won some races. That's fantastic. And I'm really happy for them, but they're, they're able to, to run with the group. Um, you know, and I, you know, some people who are listening might say, well, it's just sour grapes because you're not running fast enough, but we are just, we're not able to, we're, we're clawing and scraping to stay on the back end of the the group in the DPI class with nothing 
in reserve to go a little quicker if IMSA would allow us. And so where this gets interesting, and I think just from our, our weekly technical discussions, is if this were the case and Nissan was a full-fledged participant in the DPI category, we could say, well, although the various restrictions in place are certainly doing their job, and I hear you saying, well, boy, we're, we're kind of, we're out of some options in other areas to claw back performance with the, all the BOP applied to the car that we have no ability to remove weight elsewhere to help this, that, or the other. Uh, we're dealing with the power you've told us to use, the, the boost, etc. We're dealing with all the things you have applied to us, but hey, Nissan, just like Acura, just like Mazda, just like Cadillac, you need to go spend more money, need to spend more time, wind tunnel, CFD, seven post shaker rig, name all the off-track items that manufacturers use to develop their car, new damper package, whatever it is. Hey, we believe there's still uh, a few tents here or there. There's more knowledge you can gain by investing further in your program, so we don't feel like it's on us to just give you the happy adjustments to put you right back to the front. And then you go, I sure wish you had that going with the manufacturer right now, and no disrespect to Nissan, but uh, Nissan is not investing in core autosports ability to go around corners quickly or other things. Uh, and we know this, right? Obviously, uh, this was fully accepted coming in, but there's a practical limit to overcoming BOP where we have a very unique situation here with one, just one of the four DPI manufacturers who is there in name as a service provider hired to supply engines and such, but there's not the greater involvement to make its team faster as we have seen the other three brands do with their team. So it puts you in a bit of a pickle where you can't necessarily go away, overcome some of the BOP settings that have been applied and get back to being super fast and happy and winning races. So what's the give and take in lobbying? Because I guess that's maybe the other big BOP adjustment that you can't put on a piece of paper and can't quantify numerically. That's the lobbying part. Right. Well, it's so, so Nissan has, um, they homologated the car uh, along with Ligier, a couple of years ago, and it's pretty much under that same homologation document. <clears throat> and they did a really good job of, and they do a really good job of providing us with engines, um, good engines, reliable engines. Uh, we get a, you know, we have uh, a guy from Japan coming to each race, kind of uh, overseeing the engines for he's not he's not an engine tuner but he's there for advice and things like that uh they're directly involved in the bop process as the manufacturer and that's required for me as a team member um at core we have nothing really to do with bop or any of the meetings we're not involved in the manufacturer meetings that imsa has or any of the bop process that's strictly between uh imsa Liger, and Nissan on our side. Uh, Ligier USA, which is Max Crawford 
and Chris Lowe, those two guys um, handle that from the Ligier side. And then uh, Takeo-san is our guy from Japan, from Nismo, who handles that. And those guys would, they, I don't know this for a fact, but if we were allowed by IMSA to try to increase the performance of our car, those guys would have to come up with a plan and a budget and decide who's going to pay for it to do the development because this engineering, as you pointed out, it's not free. You want to go to do some CFD stuff to make the aero better. That's expensive. You want to go uh, work on a damper program and buy new dampers. Well, first you got to figure out what you need. Seven post rigs are involved. Uh, you want to go do more engine development. That's cost money at, at Nismo. It's all expensive. Um, and then you have to, as you said, uh, I don't know that lobbying would be so bad from IMSA's standpoint. I think as it is, they, it, it would be easier for them if they could make us faster because then they could, you know, if every, if every manufacturer had something in the pocket, then they could balance up or down quite easily with every, uh, every manufacturer based on the results of each race but if one car is just struggling to keep up then you really only have one way to go is down you can't bring the slower car up um to the to the rest and that's kind of what happened last year and so the example is there for what has happened in the past and that's what this this fan was asking you know he said he's basically a fan in, uh, of core and of nissan and he said man i really want to see that nissan do better is there any chance that you know you'll you'll get some performance and how would that work in a bop class and so kind of the, the example is what mazda did last year and i'm sure that would be allowed for the nissan but as you point out who pays for it what exactly gets done there are that opens up a thousand questions that are way above my pay grade. Um, if they hand me a nice new shiny set of bodywork and some new dampers that are faster, I'll be happy. But um, I probably won't be involved a whole lot in in making that happen, and surely not in paying for it. Isn't BOP awesome, Jeff? I mean, it's just how many hours of sheer delight does it bring you and me and others who? <laughs> You know, without it, um, life would be so boring. We'd have nothing to talk about. So, so, so boring. Yeah, it's it's about. Uh, uh, like I said, I'm not involved directly in the BOP process, but there's a lot of statistical analysis that goes on after each race to try to to try to that we give as the team that we give to VJ and to Nissan so that they can um, put it in in a report that goes to IMSA like each manufacturer does. And uh, that's, yeah, that's a couple days after each race is just on DOP statistical analysis. And, and that's just me and my assistant engineer, Tyler working on it. And along with Chris Lowe at, at Ligier, um, I would, I don't know, I have this picture of what might happen at Acura and, 
Multimatic and Cadillac with Pratt and Miller um, after each after each race as well. And it, 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 I, it, I could be completely wrong, but it's probably more than just three guys like like we have. <laughs> I am a firm believer that robots are definitely <laughs> involved behind robots. the scenes. There's a whole robot army working on BOP calculations on behalf of the other DPI manufacturers. It could be, or, you know, the whole thing could, uh, I'm willing to admit that the reason our car can't keep up with the other three manufacturers isn't because it's, we need a rehomologation. It's just because I can't engineer and Colin can't drive and we're just kind of suck at this. So that could be absolutely uh, I'm willing to, to to buy that argument too, if that's what makes uh, you know what other people think, because it's entirely possible. IMSA technical boss Simon Hodgson is currently taking notes and documenting every word you just said. I fully expect that to be presented to you the next time some sort of <laughs> BOP adjustment is requested. All right, right, my friend. Well, it is getting late there for you you have a test to do in the morning and as always thank you so much for taking some time and uh, yet another fun discussion on some of the permutations ramifications and other vocations of balance of performance as applied in sports car racing I look forward to speaking with you next week Sounds great, Marshall. I really appreciate it. We'll go play with some Ferrari Challenge cars the next couple of days here at Indy, and um, and then go race them in a, a week after that, and then right back to Road America. So yeah, let's talk about uh, whatever's on anyone's mind. We'll do it again next week about this time. Andy Lally, we are headed to one of the highlights of the annual IMSA calendar. That being the GT only event at Lime Rock Park. Before we get into what you, John Potter, the Magnus Racing Team, are hoping to achieve, what do you think of? Like, what comes to mind when you start to know that Lime Rock's coming and that in recent years, IMSA has made it just a purebred GT jamboree? <laughs> I, uh, I I get pretty psyched for the GT only stuff. Uh, I'm a big fan of the GT racing, both in GT LM and uh, GT Daytona, and it is an event that we've had some real success at in the past. Uh, we won there in 2016. I uh, had a great run there in 2017. We just got messed up with uh, uh, a penalty, and then uh, we came back to finish second there uh, last year, and uh, so. Coming forward with the with the Lamborghini and knowing what the strengths and weaknesses are versus the Audi that we had there last year, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. John had an amazing stint there last year and yeah. really put us in a good position to be able to go fight for that podium. So uh, it's been a bit of a dry spell, three or four races since we've been on the podium. Uh, we were second at Sebring this year and uh, looking forward to getting back on there. And as uh, it's been a crazy championship fight so far, you know, the Acura has been very strong and they haven't stumbled yet. So they're pretty far out. But second through like eighth in points is uh, 
up for grabs and people all the teams have been having uh you know good race then bad race good race then bad race and uh we've sort of been having a whole bunch of medium races <laughs> and uh it's been it's been crazy to see us climb through the points you know with like a seventh place finish or something like that and um so none of these finishes that were were uh, very hyped about so far uh, minus our sebring result but we've uh we had a really good race at detroit uh only only netted us a p4 but it was uh still a good good result and uh looking forward to getting the lime rock here and, and doing that yearly crazy gt battle on the bull ring of lime rock so come back to some more lime rock topics here in a moment but you mentioned something that would be uh really bizarre i think for someone embroiled in the championship battle like yourself so you and potter currently fourth Ahead of you, it's Turner Motorsport, Auburn and Foley in their 37-year-old BMW M6. Uh, ahead of them in second, it's uh, Frankie and Townie in their Lexus. And then leading, it's Farnbacher and uh, Trent Heinemann in their Acura. So if we just look at GTT, GTD battle, knowing that the season's half over, moving into the second half here, you'd say, all right, well, boy, how is this playing out? And you go, well... It kind of isn't, which is weird, which you alluded to, like, hey, a seventh place just actually did really significant things for us in the standings. When we look at the first two races, we had the Grasser-Lambo team win both Daytona and Sebring. Yay, that's amazing. And then they disappear. All right, so what are we going to do after that? All right, well, Lexus got two races. They won the next two, but they've also had kind of a bad year with that entry for Hawksworth and High Stand. If we're just talking surrounding finishes so they're currently in sixth so the most successful full season team isn't currently right up there but they could be then you look to all right so where do we go next for a win well hey shanks team won an acura great at Watkins, wonderful all right and then turner wins at canadian tire motorsports park okay it's this kind of random thing where the people leading the championship have one win the people in second the lexus no wins the folks in third just got a one win you guys in fourth no wins the guys that have won the most that are in full time are two spots behind you granted only by one point do you even try and wrap your head around this stuff in the in what a gtd championship battle is like or is that just a recipe for a headache you, you try um but in reality what you have to do every time is focus on your own your own deal there and this is one of those seasons where um no team has got it right at all of the events you know we haven't had success in our program across the board yet and um i don't think i don't know if that really shows it really doesn't show parity so i'm not going to argue that either way uh it just shows that um um we all could have done probably a better job at different points in the season to take advantage of some some lost points. It's not, you know, a lot of these times it's not where you're going to fight like crazy to gain that one spot. It's it's what did you do to keep the valleys from being too low, you know, and, and that's, you know, it's from from not making the big mistake and, you know, if you go win DNF, win DNF, you're still going to be eighth in points and you've got to be able to uh, – you know, keep those consistent finishes. We've been doing consistently well in Magnus. We just haven't been performing 
uh, as well at our peak as as we want to be doing. So uh, I think John has taken to the Lambo pretty well. Yeah. I think our engineers have taken to the Lambo pretty well, and we're, we're getting there. Um, it's just it hasn't been amazing yet. We've shown real good promise in some practice, and whether that's other guys laying off uh, and, and us being full tilt, um, uh, it's one thing. But the last – we've rolled off the trailer really fast the last three events in a row. And uh, we've been pretty racy. I had a, quite a battle with uh, – with, uh, both Vlander and Bleak Mullen at the end of, of uh, Mossport, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park there. And uh, looking forward, it's always going in the Lime Rock. You, you know you're going to leave there with, uh, you know, everybody's going to leave there with a few bruised egos at the very least and uh, usually some cracked carbon here and there on the front <laughs> and rear. So it's uh, probably going to be more of the same this year. Bit of a maybe dumb question to close, but I always appreciate the insight on driver's mindset like yours. So you're known as the super ninja GT guy. I mean, there, there's no gap that won't be explored. And I don't mean haphazardly. It's just you're a guy who loves the battle and you're always attacking. There's also tracks, though, in some events due to their length where making laps is maybe the higher priority than I just executed my best turn three ever at Watkins Glen at the three hour and 42 minute mark. I mean, there, there's some, there's some reality here where not as if you're intentionally dialing things down, but being in maximum attack, maximum risk mode, every second of every race doesn't always uh, end up being the right approach. Where does Lime Rock differ from that, knowing that you don't have prototypes dive bombing you or farting around, knowing that it's you know, a relatively compact race in terms of duration, plus it's a really short lap? I mean, is that something where you are drink, pounding 14 energy drinks trying to become like Mr. Raging Bull because that's what the track demands? Just curious stylistically where your head's at going into Lime Rock every year. It's It's a... V- relatively difficult place to pass it's pretty tight um and we've we've got a really quick corner onto the straightaway but it's a pretty short straightaway uh and that really quick corner is very aero dependent and what's changed over the years in gt racing um uh for the gt daytona class specifically has been how much front arrow uh and how much arrow overall that these cars have have gained uh, through what the rules allow. And so it's very tricky to keep your nose tucked right under somebody. So there's little tricks, uh, both setup wise and driving wise on how to do that. And, and I think that's something that you have to pay attention to. You, you just cannot make a mistake at Lime Rock, but then you also have to be there to pounce on any mistake in front of you, uh, to advance. And, it's I, I say it's tough to pass, but we we were we had a really amazing car there a few years ago, and we were able to blow through everybody. Uh, and we had some good we had some really good racing last year, and got by some really key guys to get ourselves back up on the podium. And uh, but it is a bullring. I, I I treat it all the same, basically track to track. I think sometimes we're going to have to look at sort of the environment rather than the specific track itself. We're going in the line. 
Lime Rock this weekend, and the forecast is 96 degrees and sunny for race day. <laughs> and with so many right-hand turns, you really, really, really wear those left-side tires. And so you've got to watch out for both your left front and your right front. Be relatively uh, conservative on that for the long run. And it's uh, it's going to be one of these deals where uh, you might see a car that's sort of mediocre in the beginning of the stint be crushing everybody at the end of it. I think we need to implement a new IMSA rule that says any race that is held in something north of 90 degrees Fahrenheit, you know how they've got joker laps and whatnot and some of the rally cross. <laughs> I think we need to have like a joker pit stop where when you're in, when we're in crazy ambient for one stint, you have to run on wets just because it'd be completely <laughs> insane. I mean, since we already know the tires are going to die, even the best Michelin slicks made, Look, we know they're going to die regardless, so let's just really make things fun and see who can hold on to a car for a stint and for how long on reins shredding themselves. In a- I'd, I'd be all about it. I don't know if the team owners would vote for it, but uh, the car owners may be opposed to the potential damage there, but uh, that sounds like fun to me. I mean, we could pack it with dirt for all I care and run Lime Rock <laughs> like it's a sprint race, sprint car race, but um, – yeah, no, that would be fun. And, and and in reality, though, when it's 96 degrees at Lime Rock and it, and it gets like that, it might as well be wets anyway. The cars are going to look like they're on wets because, uh, you know, the best tires in the world aren't, aren't going to uh, gonna take as much of the beating as we're going to give them and, and live at their peak like that. I mean, we've had very good success with the tires uh, this year without failure and whatnot, knock on wood. But, uh, boy, they are, they, are, they are in for a beating uh, this coming weekend at Lime Rock. And while I'm making up completely stupid things that will never happen, can we also have at one race a year, in GTD specifically, this is the Andy Lally rule, where all drivers have to ollie off of the pit wall <laughs> and, ri- and successfully get to the car door to do a driver change while riding a skateboard. That sounds good. Either that or skitching off the rear wing. That that would oh. be good too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I have a, just a lifetime's worth of bad ideas. And the minute someone's <laughs> willing to indulge me, racing's going to be fun. I don't know if better, but it's going to be fun. I, I might have a video of myself skitching off of the rear wing of the Lamborghini in our first private test that we did with the Lambo while Potter is rolling down pit lane. So uh, just on, on that note, I, I post that to social media on my Instagram one of these days. I might need <laughs> to see that immediately. Andy Lally, <laughs> always appreciate your time, my friend. And I hope folks not only tune in this weekend to watch Lime Rock, but also really take some time to enjoy the really amazing competition in GTD, uh, authored by yourself and so many other drivers who are just the baddest of badasses thanks buddy always good to be on with you so of the many things ryan eversley i could think to call you in years past i guess i'm kind of stoked although maybe it's a lame nickname that we could call you flying ryan eversley now having practiced your trade 30 feet in the air um i don't even know where to start because this is in i guess you're lifting weights in the background um <laughs> the door closing <laughs> um i love your career because it's not random it's just fully accepting like really diverse and odd things most folks would not embrace trying to be mr linear professional guy i'm only doing one thing 
I don't know, man. Tell us about stadium super trucks in Toronto. And I don't even know how you fit this into the context of your career, but I love it. <laughs> it's been it's been awesome. I I literally have wanted to do that series since they first announced it and been watching it ever since and keeping up with the you know the tracks and where they go and all the fans that love it and all that. And so um, you know, a few months ago, Continental Tire bought into the series as a as a sponsor partner. And now half the trucks are on Toyos and half the trucks are on Continentals. And so when that happened, social media just went crazy right away. And it was like, why isn't Ryan driving the Continental Tire truck? <laughs> and so uh, literally, I, I was on the Hot Rod Power Tour with the director of marketing for Continental, Travis Roffler. And I was like, hey, uh, who do I yell at for me not getting to at least test that truck? And he said, uh, why? What do you mean? And I was like, dude, I want to drive that truck bad. And he's like, oh, I had no idea. He had no clue I'd be into it. So... I'm like, yes, please. And literally two days later, Robbie Gordon called and said, hey, uh, we want you to come test. So I went to the shop where they have a test track set up, and it's like a 40-second 40, 40 lap time. And did about half a day. Loved it. Like, couldn't stop smiling like an idiot. You're on three wheels half the time, and that's a good thing. Like, they tell you if you're on three wheels, you're doing it right, which makes no sense whatsoever. Um, the prep for the jump was literally, yeah, be flat on the gas until you get to the lip. <laughs> that's not a thing you know i'm not like oh right like i did that prototype that one time oh, they, car. like they tell you that at pike's peak too right just as right. the tires over the lip of the the, the mountain yeah uh, maybe right. lift a little bit yeah so uh, i guess i did a good enough job at the test that they said i could come to toronto and you know i showed up there's a different truck than the one i tested but pretty much you know all the same stuff you use the handbrake quite a lot it's a three speed that you shift you know like an automatic you left foot brake nothing that i'm used to doing at all and uh oh also the jump at the test was probably like a 60 or 70 mile an hour jump and the one at the at the track was like 110 <laughs> so you literally have to like keep your foot down what i was doing was i was pushing I was hooking the toe of my left foot underneath the brake pedal, pulling back that way. I knew I wouldn't lift or brake for the jumps. Wow. And uh, it seemed to work because, you know, it's just I, – I, my whole goal for the weekend was try not to do anything too stupid and try not to look out of place. And uh, I think I, I fit my goals. And, uh, you know, Casey Mears and I got to run nose to tail. He's an off-road guy in his past, plus obviously NASCAR star. Um, but also he had raced these trucks a couple of times before. So when I was running nose to tail with him a lot of the weekend, I felt pretty good about where I was. So if there's one takeaway here, I'm loving most of all, it's that Travis Roffler, a uh, long time, uh, marketing and motorsports guy at continental tire. It, it sounds like if there's continental in a series, the groundswell of, hey, let Ryan race it is a real thing. So it tells me you really need to start pushing Travis to get Continental into Formula One because I can't say it's going to be the Mercedes team, but I think the same dynamic would work. Eversley makes Grand Prix debut at Coda. Thanks to fans saying Continental Tire. Come on, guys. Exactly. You know, it was incredible to me because they – you know, the, 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 the marketing folks at Continental, you know, we have you know, a couple of really great guys like Brian Byerwaltis and Julie Conlon who worked with the IMSA program. Yep. So they're aware, they're aware of all of our fan base. They obviously support the podcast that we do. So it's kind of one of those things where they, they were like, okay, if they want it, let's give it to them. And uh, I think it went pretty well. 
we, we basically this weekend, I, I tried to be as active as I normally am on social media with anything. And, uh, the, the response seemed to be really good because fans are coming out of the woodwork to come say hi, or like come look at the truck. And I, I literally didn't know I was doing this until Tuesday of this week. So I didn't have like <laughs> stickers or hero cards or anything. So, um, I think if we do it again, I'm definitely going to try to do what I'd normally do with my, my regular racing with, you know, actually having things to give to fans and thank them for coming out and seeing us. But it, it's just so crazy, dude. Every time you hit the jump, I have, I'm the one controlling the truck and I have no idea what's going to happen when we land. <laughs> and that's a real thing. Like every jump, I'm like, here goes this, you know, there is no like, okay, I'm going to angle this. So when I land, it's literally a shit show every time you hit the ramp. So I learned something new thanks to you and in, in your social media posts. It wasn't the perfect weekend. You know, there, there was some mechanical issues, not of your making, that, um, you know, kind of uh, spun out of control a little bit. Um, the stadium super trucks have, like, sensors and, yeah. like, things that, you know, I just assumed that, all right, I know that you need to get spark to plugs. I pretty much assumed that the electrical system started and ended there. The right. fact that there's more and there's like information being taken from things in the trucks right. Right. blew my mind. Yeah. They actually have a proper racing aim dash inside of them. You know, uh, it's a, it's a proper wiring harness on the engines. The shocks alone are probably the most technologically advanced thing that the truck has going for it because it can land and take so much abuse. I, I literally pancaked a wall huge and then flew off a ramp six seconds later and nothing went wrong. It was crazy. <laughs> Did the aim dash like give you a little gif of like a big thumbs up or something by doing that? Yeah, it, yeah. Like the more the, the more stuff I hit and the higher I flew, the more excited people got. So it's like getting like video game points. Yes, the little gold rings kind of exactly. splashed. I love exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So this I know you loved. Obviously, your fans, uh, your, your hashtag me personally fans loved it. I know those who you know support everything you do through the Dinner with Racers podcast loved it. You think this is a one-off kind of, hey, you know, Ryan's fun and wacky adventures? Where does this fit in among, you call it your day job, competing uh, in, in TCR and such? Uh, tell us about maybe what you're seeing for the rest of the year. Yeah, you know, they, they committed to Ryan Beat, Greg Biffle, and Sheldon Creed for the Continental Truck because they didn't have a clue that I'd be in, into it. And those are all, you know, Greg Biffle's obviously a NASCAR guy, but the other two are like off-road champions and very talented so I told Travis flat out, because he's like, do you think you could beat Sheldon Creed in one of these trucks? And I said, hell no. Never even sat the damn thing. And he's like the man. In a foot race a to get inside, yes. Right, right. I'm like, look, I sell a lot of tires for you guys, and I think that's really what this is about. I don't think you're really coveting truck series wins in Robbie Gordon's Super Supertrucks as much as you are trying to sell tires, right? And he said, absolutely. I was like, okay, then that's my pitch, because I want to do this, but... Um, for this year, I think there's a possibility that I could get back in it one or two times if there's a, if there's a seat open. Um, I'd jump at the chance. I'd really like to do some of the places we don't get to race this year. Like if I could go to Portland with the IndyCar weekend, I think that'd be really great. Just because I, I, I felt like really good fan turnout last year for the World Challenge Series and would like to go back there again. Um, but what I'd like to see is next year maybe having a possibility to do it regularly, maybe full-time even, in the wow. Continental Truck. And that would be something really neat because what I took away from it was a, the experience is incredible. It's so fun to do the, the adrenaline high and low of jumping and hitting and crashing and all these things. Like I had to make it a split second decision to not land on top of Casey Mears this week 
you know, that's not a normal thing. And our racing can get to be a little bit, I don't want to say monotonous, but it gets to be kind of the same thing over and over again. So, and I've been doing it now for 20 years. So it's kind of like, it's unusual to have something that high adrenaline spiking on a weekend unless something's gone terribly wrong. So, uh, looking at next year, I think that'd be something I'd like to do full time, but as well as continue to race for Honda in, you know, Acura and many different forms of motorsports. So, uh, I should mention that those guys were super cool about the whole thing. Like I called and said, Hey, I have this chance to do this off-road truck. They don't badge the motors. There's no support from manufacturers. And before I could finish saying the sensor, like, go do it, go do it. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So it's cool to work with people like that at Honda and HPD that are allowing me to kind of go play with others and experience other things. So the next logical question is this. So you have been a member of the Honda slash Acura family for a good while now done great things for them now using your one weekend of stadium super truck experience how quickly do you make the call to hpd and say screw that alexander rossi guy i'm your man for the next baja 1000 because i've been in a truck once in toronto yeah i've got more experience now um you know i I'd rather screw him out of the Acura DPI ride for the long races, to be honest. <laughs> nice. I tell him that to his face, and he'd laugh because he gets it. Um, now, you know, I, I think the biggest thing I took away from this weekend was the fans really have a vested interest in what drivers they follow, what they get to do. And our video of me testing the Robbie Gordon truck was like something like 25,000 views over two days. And it's literally a non-extreme, well, it's an extreme sport, but there's like no giant, technology to the truck, things like that. So my thought was, man, imagine if they actually put me in that Acura, even for a day, like the response the fans would have for it, you know? And to me, if we're trying to sell Acuras and we're trying to sell tires, like that's that's probably a good thing to do to give the fans what they want, right? So I'm not going to go into any details right now on this episode, but I will <laughs> say that I am working on something uh, that I'm hoping our friends at Acura will sign off on. They know about the request. Uh, I'm going to file it a little more formally here when I can, but it does involve the DPI, and I'm thinking there could be a window to actually make a little bit of Ryan Eversley uh, magic in that as well. So I'll talk to you about that offline here. Um, So let's close on two things. Obviously, you and the mighty CHAD, Chad Gilsinger, you guys have been racing your behinds off this year uh, in TCR. We're coming into some fun stuff with a couple of GT-only weekends uh, for IMSA and whatnot. Maybe just more of a general question. As someone who has played heavily between IMSA, World Challenge, where are you feeling at least the current state of IMSA's Michelin Pilot Challenge TCR category happens to be in terms of depth, competition, etc.? Because it doesn't look easy from the outside. It's been a bit of a catastrophe, really. If you look at the season for almost anybody involved, uh, we've had everything from catastrophic tire failures across the board to uh, cars having brake failures and major crashes and things like that. So it's been kind of, it's been one of these races where literally at most port we said, hey, if we could just stay out of trouble, we're going to come home with a podium. And then we got destroyed by a guy that didn't even know we were on the racetrack. (laughs) Just as we drew it up. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. So it's been, it's just been one of those seasons where I think if you just stay out of trouble and you can just not do anything too dumb, you can literally get on the podium. And we just seem to have some horrible luck. So 
Um, but the class itself is really strong. It's great to have like literally manufacturers like Alpha and Hyundai, as well as the Audi and, and the Honda, which are pretty, pretty big deal in terms of, you know, manufacturer support across the board. But the, the World Challenge class last year, we only had a handful of cars in terms of different brands. This year, it seems like IMSA's really attracted a lot of them. And we have Mazda that looks like they're coming down the pipe with a TCR car too. So I think that class is going to continue to grow. Um, the, the cool thing about those cars is they are absolutely as fast. If they could be uncorked, they are absolutely as fast as GS cars. Ooh. So, you know, we go to certain tracks like Watkins Glen where the pole was only like, I think, eight, nine tenths off of what TCR did. Uh, most sport, I think we were like the fastest TCR car qualified seventh in GS. And now we're going to Lime Rock where last year in World Challenge, I had the fastest laps in TCR and GT4. And the GT4 lap was like almost a second slower. <laughs> so, you know, they're really, really cool cars. Let's close on podcasts. I don't know yeah. if you've heard about them. Uh, I keep reading that they're the wave of the future. Um, you have built an amazing, amazing group who love everything dinner with racers related. And I think on a specific front, you have developed uh, probably the strongest cult following uh, among drivers with podcasts. And there are now many um, monkeys like myself, uh, our man, Sean Heckman, who are on the media side, who aren't, you know, that frontline personality and, and whatnot. I know I continue to receive nothing but love from fans who love to show that they support what I do. Many of those same fans, uh, I think there's a, a pretty good crossover love to show that, Hey, I bought a dinner with racers shirt, hat, whatever it was, watched something that you guys made or took a listen. What have you seen Ryan since, uh, you guys launched this, uh, what was it? 2015 into 2015. Yeah. What yeah. have you just seen in recent years? in terms of growth, embrace, and I would have to say upliftment of everything you guys have done on a year-by-year year basis? It's been uh, incredible. I mean, honestly, I, I can't undersell it or try to like downplay it. It's been an unbelievable experience. The amount of people that show up to races now wearing, whether it's a driving swag from something I'm doing or if it's the podcast stuff, it's, it seems like it's a lot. And, you know, it, it's hard not to feel really empowered by that when you have all these people that make decisions out of their, out of their budget, you know, to buy a shirt or a hat or to like come to a specific event because you're going to be there. That is like the coolest thing ever. And as we both know in sports car racing, fans are, you know, it's, it's not the most popular type of racing out there. So when you have people that do show up and they care, it's, it's even more, you know, I appreciate it that much more because I know that it's difficult <laughs> to follow our sport at times. And there's a lot of things that turn people off, like having the BOP every five seconds and the driver rankings BS and shit like that, that really, you know, can take a fan and go, you know what? I'm just going to watch IndyCar. <laughs> so when we have people that come out of the woodwork to actually focus on what we're doing, care enough, they know the inside jokes of the show better than Sean and I do. That stuff is just unbelievable to us. So knowing that you guys are always working on curating content and like to do a really good job of, uh, I don't want to say springing it like it's a bad thing, but you guys love to do really good capturing and then do some sort of, you know, multi-episode, whatever release. Won't ask you to reveal stuff that you, you guys shouldn't, but 
uh, I'm hoping as a fan and guest from season one, um, I'm hoping and guessing there's a release coming soon. What can we tell the, uh, should we call it the dinner with racers nation? Is that too WWE? We call it DWR nation. Kind of go right in line with the wrestling guys. Okay. (laughs) Um, We've been working on some projects. The, the reality is, is that this has been the busiest year of my driving career, I think, in a while. Um, just, you know, as well as coaching, I'm also doing, you know, some World Challenge stuff and obviously full-time with IMSA. And, uh, now I've added truck racing in there. So it's been really busy on that front. Sean's also, you know, got quite a few clients that he's working for. So we're trying to, you know, come up with a, a bunch of ideas and, and projects on the side and Continental has been super awesome about supporting us doing whatever we wanted to do. So I think what we're, what we're working on, uh, fans are going to like it. It's it's pretty much in line with what they've uh, been used to. So, yeah, we're just kind of business as usual. Lots of male nudity coming right. your way exactly. Exactly. Dinner with Racers Nation. Happy for you, brother. Again, I just loved seeing the, what? You're flying <laughs> through the air now. Awesome. Right. I don't know what's right. next. Gravedigger? I mean, you know, let's keep aiming high, man. Um, I don't know what, but stoked for you. Love the fact that you are as busy as you can possibly be in the fact that your podcast just continues to be a raging success. Uh, all things, man. So happy for you. And thanks for finding some time here during a very busy week. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, obviously, we're keeping you and your wife in our thoughts and uh, hoping for good things on that. I can't imagine the stress of just normal life and then adding that in for you. So uh, sending lots of love your way, buddy. 